Uh, welcome to episode two of 13 and 30. I'm your host, Brian Huang, here with my co-host, Mason Chang. What's up? Uh, we got a great show f- here today for you. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of prospect acquisitions and what goes wrong and what goes right. But first, let's talk about uh, rebuilding. So in the past, teams would always have these players and they would get good and obviously still now. And then teams would win uh, or win cha- maybe championships would get close. And eventually, you know, these guys will eventually they have to like retire. I mean, father, father time is undefeated. The way teams have, have tried to come back to this, this excellence has changed. I mean, part of that, part of that is just, there's more teams and the player talent, uh, the pool, the talent pool is not as, as large compared to the number of teams. So let's talk about some modern rebuilds. So in the past, like teams like the Yankees would just buy new players, but now the, it, you have to go, go about it in a different way. Mason, can you talk about some some teams that you, you think have done really well in this rebuilding process? Maybe perhaps they're already at their done rebuilding or like who you think will, will end up being really good at rebuilding. Yeah, um, well, I'd like to start off with uh, the youth movement in uh, the youth revolution in Philadelphia with the 76ers. I mean, like, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, it's, it was a joke about tank, you know, like we, we yeah, joked trust, about how, like, trust the, the process. Yeah. yeah. They were like, it's like, will the process ever end? And now they're what they're, they're the four seed in the East. Yeah. They're, they, they recently they're almost, just, um, yeah. clinched the playoffs and yeah, they're like four seed right now. Yeah. And they're also like, um, I believe they're only a few games behind the, the Cavs for the three seed. So yeah, yeah, like yeah, the seating they could legitimately be better than the Cavs. Yeah, and by the way, we are recording on March thirty first, twenty eighteen. So if this ever changes by the time you know we release the episode, uh, don't don't be like, oh, well, they were wrong about this. Like this is a <laughs> this is recorded March thirty first, twenty eighteen. I just pull it up. Um, they're ha- they're half a game behind the Cavs right now. Yeah, and that's that's just insane, dude. Like uh, like they obviously tanking works. Sam Hinkie is a is basically a genius. He was like in the front office for the for the Rockets. He was a protege under uh, Daryl Morey, who is the champion of analytics in in, in like in, in, in NBA, yeah, like, yeah, in the NBA right now. Um, and you can tell that like, I mean, it, it sounds bad to say this because it's a bad moral lesson to teach kids, but sometimes you gotta suck to be good. <laughs> And what they did was this incredible process of drafting. Well, I don't know if they originally intended to do this. Like when they first set out tanking, I don't think they they uh, started doing this. But like they were going to um, draft players that are not necessarily ready, or they were injured, or they weren't going to come into the NBA. So like. Yeah, well, I mean, like they, obviously they didn't start off doing this entirely because like they had a uh, Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, and he won the rookie of the year. His rookie yeah, year. yeah, and like you know, it, it's he's become a meme. So like I, I've always said, like uh, if a player is like does well, but he's on a d- bad team and his numbers look amazing, I'm always like he might Skeptical, just be another yeah, yeah like a, a Michael Carter Will. He might be a Mark- Michael Carter Williams season. Like it's just like you know, like if you're the only good player on a bad team or a decent player on a bad team, you're gonna put up stats. Um, and you know, obviously they traded him away. They got Joel Embiid. And Embiid was out for what three seasons? 
Yeah, he he was uh, fully out for one season. Then he was like in and out for the next few seasons after that. Yeah, and like it's it was a foot injury. Well, he was out for two because like he had the first season where he came out of college with the with the broken foot, and then the foot was still giving him problems in the second season, and like he his back started giving him problems. And then the third season, he came out, you know, like they were uh, the 76ers without Embiid were 30th in defensive rating when he was off the court. And they were like top five when he was on the court. And, you know, like in terms of defensive stats, he had better numbers and like through advanced metrics, through saber metrics and through normal, like, you know, ways of calculating uh, defensive presence. Uh, he was the best in the NBA, period. He should have won defensive player of the year if he played most of the season. Yeah, but, like, unfortunately, he didn't. And Draymond Green, a.k.a. Donkey Teeth, won. Um, so, like, you know, which is unfortunate. And, obviously, like, we we hate the Warriors. So, like, we're going to call them names. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, so, like, they also, you know, they drafted Ben Simmons, who, unfortunately, this wasn't part – I know this wasn't part of the plan. He got injured in the preseason. Yeah, it just seems so. like it's part of a pattern. It's like, let's injure our star rookie and then – then they'll be really good out the year. But yeah, so it's unfortunate that he got hurt his first year, but it's good to see him. He's playing very well this year. Yeah. And, you know, the 76ers are also like, uh, and they also got like Markel Fultz. And of course, he had the injury and now he's back. And, but like, they don't, this is like the process is already over at this point. So I don't, I wouldn't want to consider Markel Fultz to, to be like his injury to be part of the process. But, uh, you know, going back to at the beginning, the coach they hired was Brett Brown, who I've, I have a problem with Brett Brown because he's always known as a really tough coach, especially during practice. And his practice has resulted in injuries prior, like a lot of injuries prior. And he, but he was an assistant coach under Greg Popovich. So they got like a guy there, you know, and then like before they also had Mike D'Antoni as an assistant coach. They, they were prepared to like, you know, run a D'Antoni offense. Yeah, seven while, seconds or less. Yeah, and yeah, so like they obviously couldn't re-sign D'Antoni. Um and that was you know, that was a misfire in the process. And also like they also got a bunch of guys that didn't work out, like uh Julio Okafer. But the thing is, as soon as they got these guys, they traded them. And like they originally drafted Alfred Payton and they were like, We'll trade the like they traded to the, like helped him to the magic because he was able to play and Dario Sark said he wasn't coming into the NBA yet. So like he trade they traded Alfred Payton or Payton for Dario Saric and Saric is working out incredibly right now you know and then like on top of that like this year the like after they sort of like completed the process they also got went out and got these vets like JJ Redick um Rashawn Holmes who they had before but like he's basically a vet they got Robert Covington for cheap and Robert Covington was an undrafted free agent signed by the by the Rockets, his rookie season didn't play too much. Rockets dropped him for Josh Smith, unfortunately. Thanks, Daryl Morey, for that. Um, and Robert Covington is considered by many to be one of the best role players in the NBA right now. And he's only like 26, 27 years old. So, yeah. like, you know, like this is how this is how the 76 rebuilt. They basically built a team with a bunch of injured players, a bunch of really cheap guys, and a bunch of like guys that, you know, like and they can like that 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 wouldn't play necessarily their first year. And they just kept tanking and tanking until they got high picks every single year. And whatever high picks they that don't work out, they trade. And whatever high picks that that, that do work out, you know, they, they keep for, for a while. So like, you know, that that's how the 76 is rebuilt. And I think it's. I mean, it's bad if this is a model of how rebuilds are going forward because then you have like five terrible seasons 
and then before you get like one really good season. But I guess at the end, if you're patient, if you're really patient, you'll have like you know a playoff berth the same year and a very large window to, to yeah, win it, in. Yeah, so like I guess like that's the benefit. But the thing is, it's also like you have to risk like building a losing culture in your in, on your team. So like if your team gets too used to using losing these these uh, rookie players, will you know. They they don't necessarily would know how to close games by the point where they get to the like their primes and stuff, you know. Yeah, and also losing like faith from from the fans. But I think with the process, I think at least from my experience, obviously I don't live in Philadelphia, but from interactions I've had with Philadelphia fans on the internet, they seem to really really buy bought in on trust the process. Yeah, and, but I think a large part of that is also like Philadelphia's. I mean, Philadelphia is one of the best sports cities in in in, in the United States. Because like, I you know their fans are just are just really. I mean, look at Eagles fans. They're very faithful. Um, it's one one way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, but like you know, they, before this season, the Eagles have never they've won never Super Bowl. They've like, only they never, been to once, one or two Super Bowls, and they've and they lost every single yeah, one. And, yeah, and they they've just never won. But like, they're still like the most hardcore fans you hear of or some of the most hardcore fans you hear of yeah. are and Eagles fans. And, and you always hear about, oh, Philadelphia sports fans. So, like, they have a reputation. Um, but, yeah, but going on in Philadelphia, I think the, the uh, I think we're about to enter a Philadelphia sports uh, golden age because not only are we talking about the Eagles just winning the Super Bowl and obviously the process and, like, it's about to finish. I think the Phillies, I don't think their the, their whole, like, process is completely done yet. But I think... Um, they're they're in a really good position, and they they follow a lot of like principles that you you've mentioned with the 76ers. So in 2015, they had a pretty decent squad um, in terms of like talent. They they were still trash though. They they lost 100 games in 2015, but they had like some promising guys like Adubo Herrera, um, Aaron Nola. So Aaron Nola is, is um pitched a few days ago, and he had. He had like 50 pitches and like zero runs allowed in like five innings. Uh, he was a high, very high floor prospect, and uh, he has tons of team control and a, a guy who can you can build around. So you already have you are, they already have a, a solid hitter and a solid pitcher, and he so Aaron Nola uh, flash potential in like 2015 2017 really good. So the, a lot of it was player development. I think he um, really developed his uh, strikeouts. So in in the minors he was averaging around seven and a half. Um, K's uh, strikeouts per nine, and by by the he, time he hit the majors, he was he was getting like nine point five, which is like pretty good for a, a top of the line starter. Um, so I mean, there's there's still some issues that we we can work with Aaron Nola, but that's just having this one prospect to build around is um, very good for for the 76ers. So, um, so the thing that the in 2015 that the 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 Phillies were really doing really well was um. Trading guys that aren't fitting their ultimate goal of hopefully winning a championship down the line. Um, the traded away Cole Hamels to the the Texas Rangers for Nick Williams, a top prospect. Um, Jorge Alfaro, an upper mid tier prospect, a guy you expect to win to be like in a few All Star games if you if he pans out. And Jared Eckhoff, who's like a solid guy. Um, one thing I really liked was their their trading of Jonathan Papelbon um, to for. For anything, honestly. So Jonathan Papelbon is like, he was on like one uh, one year contract, or his was the final year of the contract, or something like that. And there, he really has no use for a Phillies team that is winning like sixty games that year. 
They traded him for literally anything it, I thought it, that would be a good trade. And similarly, they traded Ken Giles for a bunch of a bunch of guys, but it ended up being Ken Giles for Vince Velasquez from the Astros. Um, so one thing that I really like that the, the Phillies were doing was trading tra- trading away got uh, relievers. So relievers, and uh, this is pretty common in other uh, on other teams. Relievers have very high value very shortly. Um, so if you have a good reliever, there's no guarantee he's going to be very good in three or four years when you want, even if you have control. So Ken Giles had five years of control left and they still traded him away for a prospect that can develop more. So the willingness to, because Ken Giles had a great year, his final year in Philadelphia and they still traded him away. I think that was a very good decision by the Philadelphia front office to, to, to know that another team is going to value a prospect more, a team that's already going to be winning. Relievers find their value on teams that need to pass the final hump. That's my opinion. Um, and obviously they've drafted and uh, pretty well and grabbed guys like Scott Kingery, who's who's been hitting the hitting the really well the last few days. Um, so yeah, uh, so, so we see like these the, this common threads of of guys that can like contribute in a few years and, and train away guys that there's not really too much use for now. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I think this is sort of like, it sounds a bit basic for just rebuilding in general, but the thing is like, I, I mean, the things that, the thing that makes like, I guess what Philadelphia as a, as a whole, which is kind of weird that like, it seems like their, their sports teams are both on the same wavelength is uh, they sort of like, they know when to quit because um, if you remember in 2011, the, they upset the Chicago Bulls, or the the 76ers upset the Chicago Bulls in the in the in the playoffs. You know, obviously it wasn't supposed to be an upset. Derrick Rose went down with, you know, the, his career Sadly. ending, yeah, uh, ACL tear basically. Well, yeah, like, like a career ending yeah. is, is more like uh, it's not, not it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, but and and, and it, it's well, I think it definitely ended his career. Now it's sort of like Kawhi Leonard's injury; like it led to a lot of other injuries later on. Especially since like it, it, he came back early and everything, so like it, it was the beginning of the chain of events where Derrick Rose was was you know is now it, the way he is now. Um, but like they they sort of you know they had a team. They had Andre Iguodala on the squad. They had um, Kyle Korver, I believe. They had Lou Williams. They had like a really good team. The only problem is like they sort of recognize and like I, I feel like this is something that's not entirely obvious to a lot of teams. Um, cough, cough. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies, cough, cough. Uh, like there is a time when you need to rebuild, even though you have stars that are still generating a lot of revenue. Um, like in 2011, if the 76ers were like, we're not, we're gonna keep going with this yeah, team down. to see, yeah, like I don't think they'll ever be as close. Like first of all, they would have never landed the number one pick, Ben Simmons. They would have never landed Joel Embiid, I, well, unless the you know like something mir- like miraculous happens. But like Andre Iguodala did not have a future with that 76ers team, so they traded him to Denver. Um, you know, Lou Williams, they let Lou Williams go. Like they let Kyle Korver go, they let all these guys go that have a lot of potential, but they're just like, they're you guys are already at the prime of your career. We need to start rebuilding. And yet they looked at the league and they're like, well, LeBron's going to dominate for the next couple of years. The Bulls might be on the up and up. There's no point in us trying to compete in this in this in this conference with all these guys. So you know they they knew when to stop. And it seems like the 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 uh, like the other like the like it seems like the the Phillies also did the same thing. You know. Yeah. 
Uh, they were also kind of hampered with having Ryan Howard's uh, contract, which is kind of sucks for him because he, he was derailed by injuries. But I, I like your point about knowing when to quit, and I like to compare it to a team that, much to the chagrin of pretty much everyone outside of 161st Street, um, is the New York Yankees. Um, so in 2015, um, they, they they had a solid team. They won um, 87 wins, had 87 wins, I believe. They lost the, in the wildcard to the Houston Astros. Um, they had guys like Brian McCann, Mark Teixeira, Brett Gardner, Al- Alex Beltran, um, Alex Rodriguez. Um, they, they had some good core pitchers uh, in uh, Masahiro Tanaka. Severino was a young guy. And they had some good uh, relief pieces. Andrew Miller, Dylan Batances. But they weren't like anything spectacular. Most of their core guys were kind of getting old. Um, they still had some value. But in terms of how they could contribute in, before there were core guys but now they're becoming more relief guy uh more role player types um so in 2016 they they're, they're starting to try to double down on trying to win now they traded for a starling castro and and a role this chapman um and it mixed degree of success they were struggling struggling around 500 the whole time but Tantan was was all right chapman was very good Mil- andrew miller was dominant one of the best uh, relievers of 2016 and in, in my opinion still is um, so the tread deadline, deadline looms. They're still like struggling to to uh, stay afloat around 500, and um, Steinbrenner makes has to make a decision. Uh, Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, doesn't doesn't want to keep trying to double down. But obviously, the the, the own, ownership is what who makes the final decision. And it was a very interesting crosswords. Um, the Yankees. So people who don't know, um, the Yankees have like this 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 aura of like we must win and we have to be the best, and they ha- they have a hard decision. Should we trade to like try to go past the hump and win another like a, get an 87, 88 win season and try to like limp into the playoffs again, or should we just trade away all of our good assets? And this is this is where I I, I see the 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 parallel with, with with Philadelphia. So most of their like old guys can still be could have been still contributors to a good team. So like Carlos Beltran was 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 then traded. So so Steinbrenner decides, all right, let's just blow it up. Well, not really blow it up, but like let's build a good core of prospects for a new era of Yankee dominance. So they traded Carlos Beltran for three prospects, most notably Dylan Tate, who is 11th in their system um, from SB Nation. Um, Andrew Miller. So here's another parallel with the, the Phillies. The the two, two of the trades that they, the major trades that they made were Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman, both relievers. Andrew Miller is... And the Yankees' eyes probably has two or three more good years, and they're planning to build to compete in 2018 and 2019. Of course, the Yankees started getting really good a year earlier than they thought, um, but they trade Andrew Miller for Ben Heller, who's a in, uh, top 30 prospect in the Yankees. Frazier, who's being so he's not he's no longer a prospect anymore because he's played a, played a full year in he he's exceeded his rookie limitations, um, but he was going to be a top prospect. He was a top prospect when they were traded him, and he still is. And there's he's floating around being the fourth outfielder or being a really good um, trade bait down the line. Um, Chapman for Adam Warren, who is a good piece, probably wouldn't contribute to their what they plan to be their window. He ended up doing it anyway just because the window started earlier than they thought. Glaber Torres, the number two prospect in all of baseball. Bill McKinley, 19th in the Yankees, um, Yankees organization. And Rashad Crawford, another prospect. Future looked bright. They, they are... They had a decent farm before this, and it was the decision to either double down, use those prospects to try to win now, 
or should I build a larger window? And I think the Yankees made the right decision for them. And now they have one of the best farms in the system. They ha- they had guys like Gary Sanchez, who was mashing in 20, 2016 to end the season. He was ended up being the second best catcher in baseball, even though he played like a third of the games in terms of offense. Um, they had Aaron Judge and they had uh, Tyler Austin, who hit their first home, home runs back-to-back. Um, so the Yankee faithful were, from what, from what I saw on the internet, they were pretty excited for the future. Um, and it also satisfied the Yankees fans also because this, because they had these assets, they could have turned into prospects. They were able to make an extremely quick rebuild. People talk about this is not a real rebuild because the time of them being bad is, um, pretty short, but the difference I believe is that they were to build their 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 farm they used the pros- the their veterans that they had to turn into these these prospects rather than uh, a rebuild such as the Astros when the Astros start uh, decided to to rebuild they pretty much had Hunter Pence um, under Ed Wade um, and Carlos Lee no one's going to trade for Carlos Lee so they really only had that decision to go through the draft but instead of instead of like trying to win one championship and then closing the window immediately, I think the Yankees were smart to just build this farm now and then just take a, few, a year or two of pains and begin competing. And in going on after the 2016 season, they um, traded Brian McKenna to the Houston Astros for Albert Brayu and Jorge Guzman. Um, so, so yeah, so now they have a top five farm in baseball. And most of these guys, I, I've noticed, were guys that you think you could, could, can, could contribute in 2018-2019. So Aaron Judge, no one saw Aaron Judge becoming an MVP candidate in his rookie year, but he did. So his his development was much faster than people thought. Gary Sanchez continues to be Gary Sanchez. Uh, Greg Bird was on the team. There, there's a lot of opinions on Greg Bird I don't want to get into, but he's a solid player. And... Yeah, so people people don't really classify this as a rebuild because you know it's the Yankees. But look at these guys; they're all guys that were on the Yankees farm before coming up to the team. And I I, I very highly commend uh, Brian Cashman for for seeing that this was the, the the way to build more success. And the one thing that I think really tops off all rebuilds is the trade for Giancarlo Stanton. So you can't, so pretty much every team that has won a championship, very rarely will you have all, at least in the past few decades, very rarely will you have a team completely made of guys you drafted or traded for when they were young. You generally top it off with guys like um, Giancarlo Stanton. So like Brian McCann, when he was traded to the Ashes, he was like one of the guys to push them over the top. Um, You have these guys that are already established and are able to lead a team so now they have Giancarlo Stan yeah you need vet leadership yeah so yeah the intangibles and just the fact that guys that are like 20 23 24 years old they they don't have the experience in like winning playoff games or like going through the long season um so having trading guys for like for like Giancarlo Stanton really fortifies this and these guys are more experienced and these guys are like more physically developed and have the fine motor skills to play at the highest level possible. So yeah, I think the Yankees have rebuilt, extre- they rebuilt extremely fat quickly and people don't, uh, people really don't want to call it a rebuild because they only missed the playoffs once. Um, but I mean, I think that is attributed to m- m- a huge part of that attributed to is 
Aaron Judge becoming an MVP candidate. I, um, and yeah, so I think this is like the next evil empire. Um, that <laughs> yeah, uh, well, no, the no, Yankees are always the evil empire. Yeah, they're always so. the evil empire, but they're even more <laughs> evil when they're actually winning. Because um, yeah, the Yankees only have one one World Series uh, since two thousand one. So yeah. I think this team is it was rebuilt extremely well, extremely quickly, and it's to the credit of again Brian Cashman seeing that. All right, we have these guys. Would we rather have one one World Series or four or five? And like, I think the answer is pretty obvious. But like, it's it's nice that it's nice that you mentioned the uh, like, uh, like sort of like topping off a, a, a rebuild with a veteran because like I guess like the next team I wanted to talk about is like did that this year and this like I guess like to nobody surprise that knows me is the Denver Nuggets. Um, I've been hyping them up the entire year. Jokic and, is uh, pretty good. Yeah, and and I sort of like so I sort of categorize this rebuild as like an accidental rebuild. <laughs> I I don't believe they believe that Nikola Jokic was gonna be was really gonna be that good. He was a second round yeah. pick. I mean, uh, sometimes I you believe- got to be lucky with that. Like the Ashers, no, <laughs> no one thought Jose Altuve was gonna be a future Hall of Famer when they they signed him. But look where we are and, now. Yeah, and same with like Aaron Judge with the Yankees too. Uh, um, he was like, kind of a top prospect, but I don't think anyone thought he was going to be MVP. They they were thinking like more like a solid, very good, solid contributor, like a star, but not like yeah, not f- but fifty home didn't run he like star. wear like didn't he wear like a really high number? So like they didn't really think he would make the team this year either. Yeah, so generally speaking, that's they were probably planning on him to be called up in twenty eighteen, so this year versus last year for as a full timer. So yeah, sometimes you gotta w- get those surprises that oh look this. This guy's developed much faster than we thought, or this guy developed and we had no idea if he's gonna do it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like I guess like going back to the Nuggets uh, in 2013, that was their last playoff appearance uh, before possibly this season, and I put quotation marks around possibly because I believe they're it's, still. It's, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very tight, very tight. Yeah, it's still very tight. So like they, you know, they. Uh, it, it's been it's been about five years. Same same with the Philadelphia 76ers. Like it's been around five years since their their last playoff berth. Um but like in, in twenty thirteen, I mean you look at this this Nuggets team, like uh who they have. They had like uh Kenneth Fareed, um Andre Igudala, you know, Andre Miller, um Ty Lawson was their starting point guard, and they had, you know, the greatest the, the most intelligent basketball player of all time, JaVale McGee. Uh, Go. who's the most the you know the, the most uh, coordinated basketball player that's over seven feet tall that I've ever seen. Um, you know they also had my boy Corey Brewer, who uh, you know <laughs> like it, it's probably yeah. So like they had you know they had a bunch of guys they just traded. Uh, I they traded uh, Mello a couple years before I believe. Um, that's in New York. Yeah, and and they got you know Danilio Gallinari in return, who I was a huge fan of. Um, and they drafted Timothy Mozgov or pretty or like relatively recently. They got Evan Fournier on the team. And, you know, like this is like you look at this team and you're like, this is actually a pretty good team. They should compete. Right. And like, you know, obviously, like they they you know, these were a bunch of young guys. because Kenneth Farid got drafted in uh, 2012, 2013, I believe. Or like it's like, you know, like he got drafted the season prior. Um and they have a bunch of young guys on the team. Ty Lawson's still pretty young at this point. Um, I, and they were like, "All right, let's let's see if we can move forward." And obviously, they did make the playoffs. They hired George Carl, uh, who, which we found out was a mistake. Um, 
<laughs> you know, like, and, and like, they, they sort of like, you know, they, they kept sort of getting all these picks that didn't necessarily go anywhere. And I don't know why, but like, I, I and like, there's, there's something like, I guess, like calculated about this rebuild, uh, based on like what the, the GM was doing. Cause it seems like the GM was also trading away these guys. Like Evan Fournier got traded, uh, that season to the Orlando magic for, um, like for for picks, I believe, and like they also got Doug McDermott the next season in 2014 in the first round before they drafted Nikola Jokic in the second round, um, and they traded Doug McDermott away for uh, to Chicago for for uh, Gary Harris, who I mean, you look at the the the, pick, the picks like McDermott was supposed to be the best shooter out of college. I mean, if you remember, like, like Kyle Korver 2.0, yeah, or like uh, uh, a a taller or like a taller uh, Jimmer Fredette. You know, like, I think like he was like, he was like a taller Steph Curry. He's a six, seven and he, you know, he can shoot from anywhere. Um, and he's drafted with the 11th pick, but instead they, they traded for, uh, two picks from Chicago that are much later use of Nurkic and they, you know, uh, and they got, uh, Gary Harris and, you know, they're like Nurkic is our center for the future. But then in the second round, they draft Nikola Jokic and they're like, we're unsure about this guy. He's not playing his first year in the NBA, right? Like, you know, like this is like. A guy that like he was kind of overweight. Going yeah, draft and stash like, type. Yeah, well, like, well, they weren't really sure. This is like a low risk. Yeah, low reward second round. Kind of, yeah, like, and they're like, you know, he could be Marcus All because Marcus All was also fat in, entering the NBA. But you know, like, I mean, boy, they they were they were they were wrong about that because uh, you know Nurkic is now on the Portland Trailblazers and Nikola Jokic is possibly the most exciting center ever. And like you know, as soon as Nikola Jokic came into the NBA as a rookie halfway through the season and traded Yosef Nurkic and they're like, uh, Nikola Jokic is, is our guy, even though he was only averaging like 10 points, like seven rebounds. So like not too impressive, but then you look at like the intangibles that he had, like the passing ability, the, the shooting ability, he can shoot from three, he can do everything he, you know, you need a modern center to do. And he was possibly, you know, the first real point center in the NBA since possibly like, uh, uh, Vlade Divac or, or Chris Webber according to you know Reggie Miller he's basically the, the second coming of Chris Webber though um, so like you know they got all these guys and they also like drafted guys like Jamal Murray uh, Juan Hern Gomez and this is sort of like like these are like backup centers you know and, and guards that they're sort of building around um, Jokic and like now they're they're a playoff team and the, the way they topped it off was they went out and they got Paul Millsap who like they looked at their team last year and they're like we are one of the despite being like a top ten offensive team in the NBA we are one of the worst or if not the worst defensive team in the NBA so they went out and they got a veteran that has playoff experience that had playoff winning experience um, in Paul Millsap and they they signed him to you know like a pretty big contract and now he's leading this team defensively so like they have Jokic and all the young guys who like playing offense, who don't like playing defense, you know, sort of like learning from one of the best defensive big men in, in the last couple of years, you know? Yeah. And like, that's, that's sort of like, it's, it reminds me of like what the, 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 the Yankees did, except, you know, the, the tanking process took a lot longer than one year. <laughs> yeah. The tanking um, process was just, all right, let's uh, get everyone that's old. That's um, older than a typical rookie or prospect. And let's get more rookies, and hopefully they'll be good in a few years. But it turned out they're just going to be good almost immediately. Yeah, and like you know, the Nuggets also had a lot more misses with Emmanuel Mudiay, 
Um, like, you know, like he's on the Knicks now and like he looked good. He looked like the best point guard in the draft, but then it turns out, uh, well, the Chinese players don't play defense in, in China. So like, Nick, like Emmanuel, like anyone looks good in, if they play in China and, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> um, Jokic looks good or like Jokic or Jokic, Nurkic looks good, and, but Nurkic got traded. Um, you know, they also got like, uh, DJ Augustine, <laughs> Uh, who they who they traded Oklahoma City to reunite with the, you know uh, Kevin Durant his former college teammate and you know they just got a bunch of guys that like that didn't necessarily work but the thing is they sort of lucked their way into a rebuild and uh, like a primary thing that I want to focus on is their focus as soon as they got Jokic because as soon it, it seems like when they got Jokic uh, they traded Nurkic who was their best defensive center and you're like well why did they trade Nurkic even though Jokic was worse defensively and Nurkic might have been around the same at the time offensively so like why did they trade him well Jokic first of all was a a couple like I believe a year younger or two years younger Mm -hmm. Um, he's not too much younger but the thing is they realized Gary Harris is not a great defensive player Um, you know most of their team wasn't good defensively so if they have Nurkic there and he's their only good defender it's not going to do them too many favors in the future because it'll be like a messy rebuild. So then they're like, well, the thing is like, we don't really have a playmaker because Emmanuel Moody didn't pan out. So let's get Jokic to be our starting center, to be the main focal point of our, our, our offense. And they focused and built a team around Jokic. Cause like what 70, what the 76ers did with it was they just tanked until they got the best guys ever. And they're like, hopefully they'll ma- they'll mesh together. Right. And like, it, it was work for them. And this is the other way where like, they sort of like the Denver Nuggets are like, let's just build around a player, um, like build a young team around a young player and then sort of like have this team grow up together. And um, and that's what they did. And like uh, this is sort of like, you know, like uh, I, I guess like we'll talk about this when we get to the like failed rebuilds. But an ex- this shows that an extremely important part of a rebuild of a team is to focus your team on like maybe one aspect like focus around something because you can't just put the best mesh the best players together and you know have them work out like oklahoma city right now uh you know three former all-stars three like future hall of famers but what are they like the the they're 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 falling they're they're losing to like the the los angeles lakers they're losing to you know um like bad teams right now because they just they don't mesh together but yeah um so like the nuggets they they have a bright future. Yeah. And just not focusing on just the teams that are doing well or will do well. Uh, let's talk about some, some teams that we believe are are either have failed or are will will fail. And for me, I think it's the San Francisco Giants. Um they generally just don't have a farm system. they they have probably like two or three like stud prospects. And I use stud very, very um, nicely here. I think their their best prospects will give them be solid contributors, but they're not, none of them are like anyone to build it around. So the logical step is to obviously build this farm, right? Um, so the Giants are definitely in a predicament right now. Um, they have their their core signed, so they have Madison Bumgarner, um, 2014 World Series MVP, uh, Buster Posey, former MVP, probably the best catcher of this generation, um, signed through Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and Johnny Quitter. That's where their money is locked up right now. Um, so you, obviously you have this core and you want to build around this core, but the, also the problem is a lot of the, 
role players that they have are also very expensive right now, and they're also locked up. So, and right now, they're, they're, their payroll is like just under the luxury tax, which is the first time they've done it in a long time. So they're in a very hard predicament where they don't have enough money to like just straight up get good role players, and they also don't have farm pieces to trade away for these role, these role players. So I personally believe that the Giants should start trading away some assets. Like Brandon Belt could get a pretty good return. He's, I believe he's, like I said last week, I think he's a very good offensive first baseman that's hampered by the park that he's playing. It is one of the worst um, parks for if you're a left-handed power hitter like him. Um, But yeah, so, uh, so, so they have Steven Duger, who's like going to contribute very soon. But I don't think he's like, he, I think he can be a very good role player if, um, the Giants um, were in a bit, bit of better situation. Um, they have Tyler Beat, who's like, I don't know if he's ever going to see the majors. I don't really don't know what's going on over there, but people have been talking about him for like years. And but th- them two and and Heliot Ramos. But the problem is Heliot Ramos is a guy that's probably not going to see the majors for another four or five years. So that kind of implies that this guy is going to be part of the next core. Um, and before last year, they traded away Christian Arroyo. Uh, who admittedly didn't wasn't very hot in 2017, but he was upper mid tier. He can be like a like a four, three, four, five, maybe five All Star game type career. And what and they dealt him for a declining Evan Longoria. I love Aaron, Evan Longoria. He's one of my f- favorite players. Um, that's not on the Astros. I personally think so. They play the same position, third base. I think Christian Arroyo would have been like about the same amount of production. I think Evan Longoria is a little better. But the difference is Evelyn Goria signed for five years and you're paying him $17 million uh, five years down the line versus Christian Arroyo. If he's not good, he's going to be either going to be cut or you're going to pay him for like two or three million dollars uh, versus Evelyn Goria. You're get, if Evelyn Goria starts, really starts the rapid decline, um, you're paying him $17 million and no one's going to want to trade for that. Um, so I really don't understand that trade a lot. Um, yeah, so I'm still perplexed by this trade and the more i read into it i still am um another uh, um acquisition they did this summer or this winter was trading for andrew mccutcheon and a lot of people are really down on andrew mccutcheon i think he just had a down year in 2016 uh, i don't think he's gonna come back to his mvp level but i th- i think he would have been a solid con- solid addition if they traded it for john carlos stanton so this is where i think things really went wrong so for those of you who didn't follow that story the giants were one of the major suitors for john carlos stanton last summer or last winter and they had a trade in place but john carlos enacted his no trade clause uh so i think a lot of the giants were really trying to save face here because i think if they trade for john carlos Stanton, i think they're they're a, a true competitor and they can win they can have they can try to push for to keep this window open as long as they can and, and compete. But the problem is they, they didn't get Giancarlo Stanton. And also some really interesting interesting um, uh, news that I found was they didn't want to trade Christian Arroyo for Giancarlo Stanton, but they ended up trading Christian Arroyo for Evelyn Goria. But anyway, so they are definitely trying to save face and trying to, to like compete now and keep this window long as open. So basically, we have the dichotomy of of the Yankees and the Giants. So when this window is looking like it's going to close, the Yankees could have extended it and they didn't. Versus the Giants, they did. But now their their farm is bare. They have one good they have two one two good prospects and again, neither of them are like superstar potential like a Carlos Correa type or a Gleyber Torres type. Um 
And a lot of the money's locked up. They ha- these guys are locked up for five years. And one lot, so it, it's also perplexing their drafting strategies with drafting Heliot Ramos, an 18 year old out of high school. So, so, like again, I said that that sounds like they're trying to get this guy to be part of the core in the future. But versus if they're trying to double down, I believe that they should be trying to tr- draft guys that are close to MLB ready so they can try to compete for another World Series in the next two or three years. Um, so, yeah, so their, their core is Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey, Brent Belt, Brent Coffert. They're all signed for four more years. And, or besides Madison Bumgarner, who is $12 million team option, which they will probably take. So I'm very interested to see what the Giants do. I, I've, I've heard arguments that they shouldn't, like, quote-unquote, blow it up. Uh, I mean, but you look at the, the Yankees. They like, technically blew it up, but but they were, they're back to competing within a year. But So the argument I, I've heard is that the, the San Francisco is a big baseball city, which I believe in living there for uh, living in and not there for the last few years. They do not want to see their team lose and they will lose fan uh, fans. I don't know if I buy that. I think winning winning really does heal all wounds. Um, so I think trying to push for these like these these like stretch World Series in the next few years, I think it's going to really hurt them in the next few years. And guys like Buster Posey's 31, Brandon Belt's 30, Brent Crawford's 31, at age where decline is going to start showing and their trade value is going to keep going down. So I think the Giants should definitely consider have listening to offers for, for their, their core players. But, 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 and if they, I really believe that they're going to be in a really bad predicament where they're paying a lot of players that are past their prime and really in a situation where they can't sign free agents because they want to be there and they don't have a farm and they have to build, they, they are forced to build through the draft. Yeah. And yeah, it's just not a great position. And I'm very confused at what the Giants are trying to do. But anyway, uh, Mason, so what do you think is like an example of some teams, a team or teams that are, you believe are going to going to fail or have already failed? Well, um, like it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the giants, like sort of like having like, you know, they, they should think about blowing up the team and stuff. Yeah, or right? at least like just getting um, some assets out of it. Yeah. Because like, they seem to have like guys that are like, you know, uh, that, that like, they can't necessarily keep this, this playoff window open forever. And it seems like it, it's not it's not working out, and that sort of brings me to like uh, my my like okay, so this is sort of a bad rebuild, but they fixed it, um, and it brings me to like the Brooklyn Nets, who um, I love the Brooklyn Nets. They would be my favorite team in the East if I lived in if I like if I lived in like if I cared about the Eastern Conference right now because like they they sort of. Uh, like and I you know I don't like them because they're they're bad or like or you know like they have like a bright future or something like that. I like them because they're sort of like I mean they've had like a very tough few years because in you know like in in the uh, in 2013 they they tried to go for uh uh well they tried to double down their playoff uh, aspirations, like reaching their playoff aspirations with getting guys like, uh, Daron Williams. Um, they got, you know, Gerald Wallace on the team, but then they traded Gerald Wallace and their basic, their, their future basically for, uh, two very old, uh, players, two very old, but very good players in Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And, you know, I love Paul Pierce. Uh, he's like one of my favorite players ever. Um, 
because like I, I just I still remember like you know watching watching him as a kid um, go up against Kobe and stuff like that and like they had a really I mean at the time you know some people criticize it but a lot of people were like you know what this is uh this wasn't a bad an entirely bad move especially since like they had guys like uh Joe Johnson or not or uh yeah they had Joe Johnson they had uh Daron Williams Brooke Lopez and now they add Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and if you look at that like a couple years before before they made that trade this would have been like a god tier yeah. starting lineup and Daron yeah. Williams but then you know things happened like they barely make the playoffs they took the the Atlanta Hawks to game 7 in uh you know in in 2014 2015 and like then the then the whole team fell apart because like you have guys that that just were too old like uh darren williams got fat like a large part of the reason why he declined and like he statistically was because he was sort of you know he got injured he got over he became overweight it didn't work out for him like you know he started declining a lot easier a lot earlier than everyone thought he would then you know joe johnson great player was on the decline. He couldn't. He couldn't be the number one option of a team anymore. Paul Pierce, of course, left for the Washington Wizards. Kevin Garnett left for you know uh, the the Minnesota Timberwolves the next season because they were like a one year kind of thing. Um, and so you know the team fell apart except for Brook Lopez. Brook Lopez was like the only guy keeping the team together. And if you have Brook, if Brook Lopez is your best player and your only player that actually like does stuff. You're not in a good situation, and then on top of this, they sort of like their 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 management traded away all their assets for the future uh, to the Celtics. Danny Ainge got away with highway robbery, basically. Um, and they, you know, it's like, what do you they're, do? They're still paying for they it have, the, today. Yeah, and they they still are. And the thing is, like, they have a bright future now because of what their their management did after the fact like and, and i'm sort of surprised by i'm not really surprised with it because i've been following them for a while um like you know it's kind of funny because like i've probably watched more brooklyn nets games in the past three years in the past four years than all of our friends combined um and like the reason for that are guys like the the late round picks or the late first round picks that are working out incredibly like one guy in particular, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, um, you know, drafted from I believe Arizona State University. Um, you know, a great player drafted in twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen, I believe. Like no one, no one talks about him because he's like he's he's not a guy that you know puts up great stats. Um, like you know, but like the thing is like he like he's sort of a guy that like does all the small things well for your team. You know, like he gets to the line. Quite often, he shoots relatively well from for, like for uh, from the free throw line. He can shoot. He has a good mid range shot, which you know in the modern NBA is not very good. He's only six seven, but he plays power forward. And the reason why he does that is because of his length. He's a very long like his height is he's six seven, but his uh, his length is like it, it's almost like a I want to say it's like a seven, it's over seven feet. It's an, it's over a seven foot wingspan. He's a great shot blocker. He's a great rebounder because he knows how to box out. So like you have a, like you know a guy like that drafted number twenty third in twenty in twenty fifteen. Um, like it, it's you know you ha- you have uh, like a, a bright spot in, in your. Uh, in your future and then like the next year they get Karis Levert who I'm really high on he's a 6-7 point guard small forward shooting guard combo guy 
Um, he has great handles. Drafted from Michigan State. Um, the only problem is he's not good at finishing. Like he's he, he's got he can get into the paint where he can score, but he's not good at finishing around the rim, which is something you can teach because he's still very young. You know, um, this is it's not like the end of the world that he can't finish when he's this young. He still has the 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 things that you can't really. You can't really uh, like the intangibles. Like he's tall, but he's a point guard. He's six seven, but he's a point guard. You know, he's an inch taller than Lonzo, um, and he's a great defender. And he has handles and he has playmaking ability. It's just he, you know, he just needs to learn all the fundamentals as well. Like he's got he's got solid ball handling and playmaking stuff. And then you have you know Jared Allen this year, but then they went out and uh, what they did. So they did a standard thing in um, in like. I guess like in in NBA rebuilds where they take on bad contracts from from teams that are looking to rebuild or teams that are looking to sign another big free agent and in, in exchange for them taking them giving them giving the Nets an asset like giving the team taking on the contract an asset and they got you know D'Angelo Russell who I mean I don't like if if you know me you know that D'Angelo Russell is one of my favorite young players like. I understand he has like a lot of like personal issues, like uh, attitude issues, according to like some coaches and stuff. Because like, apparently he didn't get along with uh, Luke Walton, but the kid's talent is there. You know his potential is there. And I remember like seeing this year, um, and there was like this this Lakers podcast, or I, I think it's it's not a Lakers podcast, but I don't remember what it's called. But it was on YouTube, or no, it was on ESPN, and someone said that they would rather have Josh Hart. Over D'Angelo Russell, like Josh Hart has is a better prospect than D'Angelo Russell, and I was like, "What?" Like D'Angelo Russell is, I love Josh Hart, but D'Angelo Russell is like ten times has has ten times the potential as Josh Hart. Like, unfortunately, he's been injured for like the last couple of years, so that his development is sort of stunted a little bit. But you can't deny his, his talent. He's six five. He can shoot from anywhere. He plays point guard. He has. Unreal passing ability, unreal passing vision. He reminds me a lot of James Harden is the way James Harden is now, and that's I guess controversial for a couple for 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 some people. But like the thing is, like um, he's further ahead now than James Harden was at his age, at, at being James Harden, at, at being the current James Harden, and he's better defensively than a lot of people think he is. Um, and you know they they got him for Timofey Mozgov, whose contract is going to end like two years from now. So like it's like it, it's not really going to interfere with them. And I believe they already they, they they already cut him or they're not playing him at all because I haven't seen him in the, in the last couple games. But you know like they have a really bright future that they created for themselves, based like like despite the 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 terrible decision to trade away their future. <laughs> um, and you know like they're they're obviously like still a joke. They're they're still not not like. You know they're not they're not in playoff contention, but they're getting there. And like you know, it, it, it's the result of like a, a few injuries and accidents. Like Jeremy Lin, if Jeremy Lin was playing, they might be a little bit closer because Lin was one of the best pick and roll players in in the NBA last year. Like per like per possession, per offensive possession where they ran the pick and roll, he was one of the most efficient in the NBA. Um, and like you know, you have guys like Jared Allen, who's a great pick and roll runner. That could have that could have helped that. Timothy Mozgov was good at running the pick and roll. He could have helped that. Um, so like you know they and they also got like guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, who the NBA gave up on, but he was a six six guard, 
he's i mean i think he's not really i think he's overrated now but like before i thought he was underrated when he was on the pistons because like he wasn't you know no one thought he was going to be any good but you know the pistons also had like a really weird uh uh, point guard rotation when he was on there because they had Reggie Jackson then they had Steve Blake who I, I was surprised they played Steve Blake over Spencer Dinwiddie because Steve Blake was like 38 years old at the time um, and he was never really that good so like they just have a bunch of guys that like the, the NBA gave up on I still believe despite everyone saying Jaleel Ogrefer is a bust I believe he still has a place in the league if he just learns how to run a pick and roll, which is surprising that he doesn't know how to run a pick and roll because he's in the NBA. It's the bread and butter of the NBA, the pick and roll. (laughs) Yeah, the first play you learn when you're playing, when you're, when you learn how to play basketball is the pick and roll. And somehow this kid is clueless. Like he looks confused. Um, and you know, but like if he ever puts it together, that's a great talent, you know? Um, so like, I, they have a bright future, and I guess like it's sort of a cop out to say that they're a bad. Oh, it's not really a cop because they are a bad team now, but it's sort of a cop out to say like to, to add them in if I think if I think that they're sort of on the up and up. But I mean, giving up all that is is, is the part that you know I want to drive. Like you should never like. We know now that it didn't work, but I mean, at the time, it was like some people were like, it, "This is kind of a stupid move for Brooklyn to do." And then, you know, all of a sudden that season, it was like maybe they're, they're onto something. But then it turns yeah. out it wasn't. Like, but still, like you know, y- you shouldn't do that. You should never trade away your future for for a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it's it's also interesting. It seems like the Nets had a pretty pretty large parallel with the Giants, where they probably shouldn't have doubled down. So I'm 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 interested to see if. What I believe will happen is they'll go along the same lines as the Nets. Per- perhaps not uh, trading away like their first round pick when they're at their worst, but um, yeah, I'm very interested to see. Yeah, yeah, and also another parallel between these is the Nets are one of the best uh, uh, franchises in terms of generating revenue, which is really surprising if you think about like their history. But then you look, you look at oh well, they're also they were in New Jersey for the longest time, and the population of New Jersey is huge. So, like, there's a lot of guys that, you know, that a lot of people that grew up uh, fans of uh, the Vince Carter, Jason Kidd era, or, like, or the Jason Kidd era, or, you know, like, you know, like, all the, like, the, the previous eras of, of Nets basketball that are currently, uh, or, like, you know, even, even Drazen Petrovic, I believe that there's still probably guys that still remember Drazen Petrovic on, uh, that, that are Nets fans currently. So, like, you know, they... They're, they're top four in the NBA in terms of general in terms of revenue generated. So like even though they have a terrible team, they're still going to make money. One of the yeah, they're still making money. So and, and this is good for them for the rebuild because then like I mean, is New York City now? They're in Brooklyn, you know. Um, the they're in Barclays Center, which is I mean the most. I think it's the newest stadium, but it's definitely the most advanced stadium in the NBA. Like in the NBA right now. So like you're playing on, on state of the art in a, in a state of the art stadium. Like there, there's more reason for them to go. You know what I mean? And also like Jay Z is part of the ownership group. <laughs> so I guess like there's that appeal to you. So like I, the, the, the nets have a really bright future. I, hopefully they don't mess yeah. it up though. And with all this talk about like prospect acquisition and like this process. So this might put a, kink in the process of 
of rebuilds is uh, a few days ago, Darius Baisley, um, for those of you who don't know, Darius Baisley is formal, uh, formally committed to the University of Syracuse to play basketball. He decommitted from the University of Syracuse on Twitter saying, uh, ready for the next chapter, hashtag God's plan, hashtag league me. And he posted a picture with that saying he was going to join the G League. Um, so this is very interesting. So no pros- so no um, prospect has ever done anything like this in the NBA. So so some, the process for him a little, uh, a little bit is he must be drafted by the G League, and he must get drafted again next after that year. Yeah, so like there's a G League draft in October, um, and the reason why they make it October is like you can declare for the NBA draft, and if you don't get drafted, you can declare for the G League draft, so you can at least play uh, basketball in the United States. You know, so like, um, so uh, uh, Darius Blake or. Uh, Bla- or Baisley, or Baisley, Baisley. Sorry, uh, Darius Baisley. Um, he's sort of like he's not forgoing his draft eligibility with this. Like, like as some people on on Twitter, uh, ha- or like you know, all across the internet have sort of like, especially like NCAA fans who are complaining about how this kid's throwing away his future. He's. Not this is not getting rid of his, his eligibility to enter the NBA. He will draft. be drafted again. And he's a five star. Yeah. yeah, and and he's a five star recruit. Um, so I, I I seriously doubt he will not be drafted. So so yeah. so, so we can talk about some like the good things and the bad things about this. So the good thing is that there's NBA coaching. So the coaching he's getting is more akin to what kind of coaching he would get in the full NBA. So I. So I've also heard like bad thing. The the one bad thing which I I've heard is for himself is that there's the general lack of branding. So you got, got you even guys that aren't like necessarily superstars in the NBA are still heavily associated with the schools they went to. So for example, like Mario Chalmers, everyone remembers his his his, his shots in the, the tournament. So I guess from that perspective, is bad. I mean, uh, kind of, because I think we haven't. The G League is relatively new, so. And, and obviously, like, high level, this is the first time a five-star recruit went to the G League. Uh, but the G League, um, because it's relatively new, and there hasn't been, like, because it's been used as, like, a dumpster bin for the NBA, I, I don't think that this will actually affect his branding. I think, honestly, like, because, you know, branding is a is a, is a uh, constantly evolving industry. And I, I bet, like, if, if, this, if, if this guy, like, kills it in the g you'll get attention i'm yeah. sure yeah nike's and, and the thing is like now like and the difference is you know obviously like you know the nca the ncaa is, is televised when they have it is nationally te- they have nationally televised games and stuff but um the nba owns the g league i believe they yeah they they own the g league they can televise the games whenever they want and some games are televised depending on where you yeah, are and- and they can have stuff like, um, like up and coming games. Like in, in baseball, they have like a newcomers game where they they pit. They have, it's like an all star game, but just for prospects. So, the, so the G League could eventually, if more obviously not right with literally just Darius Baisley, but if more five star prospects are more more likely to go to the the G League, they can have like events like this. Yeah, and you know, like obviously, if he kills it in the G League, first of all, I I think that it would be more like. As a, as a, like, if you, if you're a scout, I think it'd be more impressive because you're facing developed or more players, developed at least guys yeah. that, 
or yeah, more developed because the G League is full of NBA prospects that are on good teams that don't want to be, you know, the teams are like, you're not entirely ready. So these are guys that like killed it in college. Yeah. Co- yeah so like, like in college, you'll have a bunch of guy, like most of the guys you, you see in college won't even make the G League. Yeah. And also like, you know, like on top of that, you have washed up players, but they're yes, still, they're, they're still good. like one of the best in basketball players in the world. Like yeah. if you're, yeah, so if, you're it's like, if you're a washed up NBA player, you're still an elite basketball player on by like human yeah. standards. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just watch the Big Three League. Shout out to Ice Cube. <laughs> like, like the, you know, like you look at all those retired like former NBA players. What's his name? Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, uh, the the former point guard in, in the ni- of the '90s Denver Nuggets teams. He's sh- he's still shooting three point shots. Like like Steph Curry is currently. You know what I mean? Like these guys are like if you played in the NBA at all, you're still very good now. Unless you're Shaq and you've gained a lot of weight and you can't jump anymore. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure Shaq is still amazing yeah. though because he's also it's Shaquille you know, O'Neal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, unless like you're one of the few players that just lost all its ability for some reason, you're still very good. So like he's going up against more mature bodies, more mature players, um, and. You know, like this is sponsored by the NBA, so the NBA could market off of him immediately. But the difference between this, the NCAA, is that he's actually getting paid for his contributions. He's not being exploited like a slave by the NCAA, because I believe the NCAA players are basically is basically like akin to slavery. Um, which, well, it's not as yes, it's obviously, not, obviously as bad not, as not the same. It's not as yeah, it's not as bad as slavery, but it's it's a it's a modern form of slavery because these players are not getting anything for generating billions of dollars in revenue, which is insane. And I think there's still a lot of uh, kinks to like um, get out. So for one example, let's say the the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the Rockets affiliate, picked them up. The Rockets are just sitting there and they're like, all right, there is a five star prospect, and he's probably going to be a top five pick. Uh, in the next draft, just sitting on our our minor league affiliate, um, it's kind of like an awkward position. So I think, but I think so, uh, something like this will definitely push forward, um, the progress of having a more sensible solution to development of players. And also, like I think, um, you know, for the people still worried that he might not get drafted because of this, this gives him a better opportunity to be drafted if he's good. Because these are, first of all, they're, they're G League affiliates of NBA teams. The NBA scouts are going to be all over the place. Like, they, they um, you know, they're going to be like, all right, well, you know, we especially like, uh, and this also might harm his chances of doing well his first year in the NBA. Because, like, if he's on the Rio Grande Vipers, if he gets drafted by the Rio Grande Vipers, the Rockets are going to have so much tape on him. Because, they like, just lose their affiliate. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah, so like you know, like you know, obviously yeah. this guy like th- there's pros and cons with it, but he's definitely gonna get drafted yeah. if he plays well. And an- an- another example of something kind of similar to this, but not really, is Emmanuel Mudiay. Um, he played in a different. He didn't play in the NCA, but he was drafted still very high. So yeah, and you know that was well. I, I believe that was sort of like the opposite of the G League. He was going up against uh, uh, like he was going up against lesser competition not to trash on the chinese basketball like association the cba but like they they don't play defense 
at all. So Emmanuel Moody can drop 27 or 50 in a game and it'll be like, all right, well, that's like the equivalent of like dropping 13 points in yeah. the NBA. But in the end, I think this is going to be very interesting to see how player development and in the end rebuilding really uh, shapes up with how Darius basically going to the G League um, comes out. Uh, yeah, and this sort of like, you know, this is, if, if you're worried about like players being too young, uh, being drafted at a high school too, like as like as as sort of like you know players are, are too young and immature. They shouldn't you know if they shouldn't like if you believe that they shouldn't come out of high school. The G League is is if this works out, this proves our point before like the, that we made in episode one about you know this being a better alternative yeah. to going to college. And I mean the G League is not the spotlight you get in the NCAA or like the NBA either. Uh, I, I I still believe that. Like the top prospects will will get some attention by like some hardcore fans, but in the end, the G League can also be a place to mature as a person. Yeah, and you know that could all the the branding and and popularity could all change. Uh, if the the system like if the G League becomes a better like a, a place more uh attractive to uh young prospects going into the that want to go into the, into the NBA. So like you know like yeah I mean like I I've, I've said before that like I think that like it, it's uh like people would watch the G League more if you have top prospects going into the NBA than it, the way it is now because now it's just a place for washed up basketball yeah. players. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch over the next few years. But uh, anyway, moving on, uh, we have one final segment for you. It's uh, our weekly. Uh, underrated or overrated player where we highlight a player who thinks needs more attention or thinks gets too much attention. So, uh, Mason, who would you like to talk about today? I sort of have uh, uh, two guys. Uh, uh, one is underrated. The other one is overrated. Um, but I guess, like, all right, so I'm going to read you the stats of these guys, and I'm going to let you guess which one. Okay, one of these guys made the all-star team in the Western Conference. I'm going to let you guess which one it is. All right. So, so player A, 24.9 points a game, 87.8% free throw shooting, 4.5 rebounds, 4.7 assists. And then uh, field goal percentage is 43%, uh, along with a 38.3% three-point percentage. Yeah, and then player B, 21.6 points a game, uh, 5.6 rebounds, uh, 3.4 assists, uh, 2.1 steals, and uh, he has he's shooting 40.1% from three and has a 43% field goal percentage. Okay. And he's shooting like around eighty-one percent from right. the free throw so line. So both guys seem pretty good, but if I had to vote based on the stats, I would vote player A. Yeah, and player A is uh, the snub, Devin Booker, who I've been saying got snubbed for you know I the last very what, like very agree <laughs> strongly. Yeah, agree. Uh, Devin Booker, uh, Phoenix Suns shooting guard slash point guard is you know uh, like if I had to pick one guy that I root for. Um, one young guy that I root for is probably Devin Booker. He's my favorite young player in the NBA period. Um, he has the attitude 
that you want from your young superstar. Like he doesn't, he doesn't mess with anyone. If anyone messes with him, he, he you know, he, he's about to like, he's like square up, son. You know what I mean? Like even because like he, I mean, his rookie year, he picked up, uh, like he picked up, he almost picked a fight with Zach Randall. Zebo, yeah, who, that's, uh, yeah, yeah Zebo. <laughs> this is still, yeah, and this is prime Zebo too. This is still like you know, like three hundred pound, almost seven feet tall Zebo. I was part of the Jailblazers a couple of years ago, Zebo. So like, or like almost a decade ago, Zebo. So like, Devin Booker is 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 my one of my favorite players in the in the in the NBA. Yeah, and you know, like you look at his team. All right, you're like. Who's 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 he got? That like in his entire team, only one guy shoots higher than thirty-two percent from three. Other than Devin Booker, and he's Troy Daniels. He's Devin Booker's replacement off the bench, so they're never in the same lineup together. And for some reason, Devin Booker is shooting almost forty percent. He's shooting thirty-eight percent. Yeah, so he's like going to get all the looks that he can get from three. Yeah. Yeah, and it's ridiculous because you're like, all right, well, no one else can shoot 40% or like over 32% from three other than this one guy that's my replacement. Yet somehow I'm shooting 38 or like this guy is shooting 38%. And like, you know, he has a 43% field goal percentage, which is pretty decent. But like, you know, like compared to Paul George, like the like Paul George is shooting better from three. But he should be shooting better from three when he has Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook on that team with him. Like, he should be getting easier looks. He should be – and you can say, like, oh, well, his scoring went down because, you know, Russell Westbrook looks the ball, like, is a ball hog. Yeah, but he should also be getting better looks. And his field goal percentage from, this, from last year to this year dropped from 46% to 43%. Yeah. I think a, a, a lot of it, fairly or unfairly, that's up to – your opinion is the Suns are not good at all uh, as a team, but anyway, yeah. So who 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 is the uh, the overrated player? I'm I'm curious. Well, it, the overrated player was Paul George. Um, yeah, like like it was it was one guy was like you know like I think Devin Booker's massively overrated. I think he deserved it over Paul George, especially at the time because uh, when the All Star vote uh, happened. Paul George was shooting around 40% from, from the field. Well, he was shooting 40% from three. So, like, there was that part, too. So, like, he was shooting 40% from three, but it seemed like his field goal, his field goal percentage was actually lower than his three-point percentage at the time um, when they made the all-star picks. Uh, and he was only averaging 20 points a game, and he did not have 2.1 steals a game. He actually jumped up in production the last few months. So, like, you know, you can say, like, well, now he's a little bit more deserving of it. Especially since, like, at the time, Devin Booker, points-wise, everything was the same. Except he was actually scoring better from three-point percentage. He was shooting over 40% at the time uh, from three. And he was shooting over 45% from the field. So, like, you know, his production went down in the last couple of months while Paul George's production went up. And a lot of that is actually due to uh, Devin Booker getting injured. Because um, he's been injured with a sprained hand. He's still injured with a sprained hand. He's gotten, like, uh, he got kneed in the ribs by Cody Zeller. Uh, you know, like, all these things happened to him. So, like, he wasn't able to consistently play. But, like, if you think about it, like, still, like, these numbers are ridiculous. Like, almost 25 points a game in his third year in the NBA. You know, uh, younger than Donovan Mitchell. Um, 
didn't deserve apparently according to the according to the coaches he didn't deserve an all-star an all-star nod at all while Paul George who at the time was a lot worse you know got it and I can understand like he's a better defensive player but the thing is like Paul George is a great offensive player and if he wasn't able to do you know um if he wasn't able to score more efficiently than he was a year before then that's a sign that you know first of all the team is terrible and second of all or something's wrong with the team and, and, and some and, and you know something's wrong with him and you know obviously like at the time he wasn't making he wasn't he's not as good of a three-point shooter because you saw the three-point contest right like this man had what nine points total it's not good <laughs> Yeah, like so, like I, I, I fail to see in in any way other than legacy why Paul George deserved this over Devin Booker. But you know, like of course the coaches disagree with me, and I think it's still up to legacy. But you know what? Like in the next couple of years, I'm going to predict Paul George is going to be on the decline, while Devin Booker. Well, I mean, it's not really a hot take. This I mean, that's just how really, Father Time like, works. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how Father Time works. Like Paul George will start declining because he's 27 now, and Devin Booker is 21 now. He's going to be one of the best scorers in the NBA. And then we're going to look back at this at this season. We're going to be like, wow, I can't believe Devin Booker didn't get an all-star nod. All right, that's uh, all we have for you today. Um, it was nice talking about some uh, a lot of prospects today. And uh, hope to see you next week for episode three. Yeah, all right, I'm going to stop recording.